Hey gang, it's John. Thanks for listening to another edition of Deep Dive. All right, this week is a fun one. We are bringing back UB40 founding member Robin Campbell. Now, Robin is here to discuss the latest UB40 album, For the Many. And I have a funny story to tell you about that. So Robin and I talked last year, and I've been thinking about getting back with him because I thought... I think he liked me well enough. I think he saw that I was a legit fan. There's at least half a dozen UB40 albums that are just deeply in my blood and bones, and another half a dozen of which that I love deeply. This should be great. There's multiple albums to talk about. Well, Robin wanted to talk about the new one, For the Many. Now, I don't mind that too much because For the Many is honestly the best UB40 album they've put out in decades. But it's obviously not the one that I've been living with for most of my life. So I was a little disappointed. But the more I looked into it and the more I was listening, it is absolutely the right album to be talking about right now. It is the album for this time. And I will tell you, this conversation gets very political. Of course, this is UB40. Of course it does. But if you are somebody who, you know, gets a little sensitive or skittish about people having different political views than you, you might want to sit this one out, okay? Because we go deep. But otherwise, For the Many is a fantastic UB40 album, and this is the one to talk about right now. Speaking of which, there is a giveaway relating to this album that I will tell you at the end of the episode, so don't fast forward through the outro, okay? How you been? I'm okay, considering the conditions. I'm, yeah. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm feeling quite guilty about the fact that I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine, you know, I'm sure that your muscle memory is so used to being on the road these days that it, it must feel odd. But when you settle in and realize I can just be home for a while and not have to think about it, maybe that's a relief. Absolutely. I, it sounds terrible saying it because I know a lot of people are suffering, you know, but for me, I mean, obviously financially it's a pain because uh -huh. there is no income, but it's just really nice to be able to get some of the jobs around the house, you know, <laughs> I that I, I haven't had time or inclination to do for a long time. So just yeah. having this downtime, it's, it's a bit like a holiday, you know. I could see it. I could totally see that. <laughs> um, okay. Well, so thanks for agreeing to do this with me. Well, it was interesting approaching you because, I mean, to my mind, there's 10, 12 classic UB40 albums in there that I grew up with and listened to it, you know, hundreds of times. And I thought, I wonder if he'd talk about one of them with me. And when you picked the new one, I thought, <laughs> well, I'm so used to, I grew up with those other ones, but in getting ready to talk, I mean, I've just been absorbing it and it's, there's so much fun stuff to talk about with this one, uh, heavy stuff, topical things, you know? I hope I can answer all of your questions. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's too. difficult because you know I'm I'm one of a, a large band, and we all we all play our part. So you know yeah. I can I can only really talk about you know my point of view and sure. and stuff. That's when it fine. comes when it comes to other people's lyrics, it's difficult. You know, I can only I can only surmise. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot to dissect here. So I am curious, you must be really proud of For the Many to choose that that to be the one to dissect. What what are your feelings about this album specifically? Well, I think to be honest, John, most of the time when you've just finished an album, that tends to be the one you want to talk about. That tends uh -huh. to be <laughs> tends to be the one you're most proud of at the time, yeah. you know, because it, it's it's yeah. your latest. 
and uh, it's the one that you want people to hear that you know they've heard the others you know they have favorites you know they've already experienced those songs and and when you make a record what you want to do is get the reaction of the fans and the approval you you want to get approval from the fans you know you want them telling you that they they love the new album so it's always going to be the latest one is the one I want to talk about. <laughs> that makes sense. When you listen, I mean, you record, this came out on March 22nd of last year, 2019. Yeah. And the world was a, a crazy place, especially in our two countries and has been for a few years now, uh-huh. but it's gotten weirder. And so for the many seems even more prescient than it did then. It's it's like every song I'm reading, I'm listening and I'm re- reading the lyrics and I'm dissecting. And it's even more to the point today than it was when you were writing and recording it. You know, it's like prophecy almost. Hey, prophets, that's what we are. <laughs> <laughs> In some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I am curious. Do you guys even, do you record in a studio anymore? Do you? Dropbox files to each other. How do you guys go about making a record? Oh, no, we we work in in one place, but obviously we also work separately. You know, so if you're working on a song, you might be doing that in in your own home, just working. I mean, you know, I can sit and strum a few chords and and sit and work on a tune myself. Always, the lyrics are always done outside of the studio whoever brings a set of lyrics will bring it into the studio to the band, you know, as a, as a completed lyric, it may get messed around. The chorus might change or whatever, you know, but generally uh, each member brings in his own set or sets of lyrics. But when we work together and when we play as a band, we play in one building and the place that we used for this album is the place we've been using for the last few years. And that's a, a place called Music Up Studios in, in Coventry, which is a town, what, 20, 25 miles outside of Birmingham, okay. so, uh, south of Birmingham. So this is a place that a friend of ours owns, and uh, he's given us the use of, because he knows that we spend most of our lives on the road, and uh, it's very difficult to get into a studio, to get studio time, you know? So. Sure. He owns this place and he just said, listen, guys, he's a he's a good friend and a, and a fan of the band. And he just said, whenever you want to get into a studio, please use mine. So that's what we do. I mean, we store all of our equipment in storage in the same building. So, yeah, yeah, we're kind of based there now. Yeah, it's perfect. It's not a sort of state of the art studio like we would have used 20 years ago. It's really a, a warehouse, but he has adapted it and built built rooms off and he soundproofed it and put a few baffles in so, you know, to deaden the cavernous sound of a warehouse. Right. So, yeah, he's he's made smaller rooms that we can use. But we, it's not just us. There are quite a few bands that use it as rehearsal rooms and stuff. But also, yeah, we've recorded the last couple of albums there. Okay. Well, that sounds really handy. Having a place that you can just call home like that? Absolutely. And we yeah. do, we we get the opportunity to go in whenever we like, really. Whenever he doesn't have another band in there, we just have open house, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And we can constantly work on stuff, constantly update it. Jamie, Jamie Travers, Brian's son, 
is our engineer, mixer, uh, co-producer. He's been working with us for years now. He tends to go in and just work on stuff all the time, as well as at home on his computer. Sure. But we sort of had the whole thing mixed in there by the time we were ready. And we, we then booked into another, inverted commas, proper studio in Birmingham yeah. to do a final mix, you know. But, okay. But really, when when we put it up in in the other studio, we were pretty impressed with how good it sounded. Good. Okay. So, so there wasn't a lot of work to do, you know. We just spent a day yeah. on a day on each track, kind of fine tuning it for balances and stuff, and and then took it down to London to have it mastered. Okay. Yeah, it's fantastic. It sounds fantastic, and and you and I talked about this, I think, before. It's it's the best UB40 album to come out in decades. I mean, the last one I can think of that was making this big of an impact probably would have been Who You Fighting For? But even that, I mean, that was, what, 15 years ago or something like that? Yeah. So it's been a while since uh, you guys came out of the gate with, I feel like, such a strong album and a strong perspective. And um, we should talk about the political influence. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, and there's a lot of probably... Americans like me that aren't familiar with what For the Many means, who Jeremy Corbyn is, what exactly the Labour Party is. Can you <laughs> kind of briefly uh, explain to us what the the ethos behind all of that is and how that motivated the album? Well, the band, we are supporters of the Labour Party, not so much the party, but one man, Jeremy Corbyn, who became the leader of the party a few years ago principally because he's just the most genuine, honest politician I've ever met. Who has, rare. He has so much integrity and uh, he's just an honest, straightforward man who says what he means and means what he says, you know. He's not your usual politician. He doesn't play those games. And we were all so impressed with him when we met him that we basically put ourselves behind him, you know. We, we just stood up and got counted as uh, total supporters of him. And when we were working on this album, I suggested to the band that uh, we might use his slogan, which was, you know, the, the slogan of the party was for the many rather than the few, you know. So I, I said, how about if we call the album for the many? And they all said, what do you think Jeremy would think? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we actually asked him and he... Oh. He was delighted. He said, I'd be delighted if you if you use it. I think that's a great yeah. idea. So that was how it got the name, you know. Okay. And of course, yeah, the, uh, oh, we, upset, we upset half of the country because half of the country <laughs> didn't vote for him and aren't going to vote for him. And, you know, that we got all sorts of stuff on social media saying, why have you got involved in politics and you should leave politics out of your music? And I've been a fan for years, but I'm, I'm not going to buy any more of your records. <laughs> Right. And we're going, well, you can't have been a fan for years if you, because you ha obviously haven't been listening. You know? <laughs> That's right. That's we right. Changed. We have not changed in the past yeah. as we've been making records. You know, we, we yeah. started out as um, uh, anti-establishment and anti-Thatcherite, you know, who was the leader of the day in the, in the late 70s and 80s. And we hated Thatcher with a passion and told the world so, you know. Yeah. And people were saying then, leave politics out of the music. <laughs> but uh, that's never yeah. going to happen, you know. No, I know. 
Yeah, I'll I'll get that from time to time. I pers I purposely don't bring up politics very often on this show, but if someone else does, I'll chime in because I feel strongly about a few things. And I'll hear from listeners like, you know, can you just cut all the political stuff out? And I, my response is always, well, if you're going to boycott everything that doesn't ha share your politics, I, especially in America, I don't know what you're going to be, what there is left for you to listen to or watch <laughs> or, you know what I mean? I, you're not going to watch any late night television shows. You're not going to watch any movies. You're not going to listen to any music because I hate to say it. There's not a lot of people out there on your side on this, yeah. you know, on this issue. but. Yeah. Anyway, all right. One thing, and I think this calls back, I'm sure this calls back to Jeremy Corbyn and his kind of labor or socialist ideas. The theme to me of For the Many, and it's right there in the title, is the haves versus the have-nots. Almost every song, as I'm taking notes on every song, oh, here's another one, the haves versus the have-nots. And it, you guys are sort of a voice for the have-nots, and you kind of take on the voice of the haves to show how it sounds to the rest of us when you are one of those people. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not happy. It's not a good feeling. We, I, I could not have said it better myself, John. Oh, <laughs> See, good. You just summed up the album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me ask you kind of a hard question. We got to talk about Ali for a second. Sure. Uh, because, and I'm wondering if, and it, this is going to come up later because there's flat out a song on there called what happened to UB 40, where this is going to come up, but the rift between you guys really came down to finances. My understanding of it is there's probably other things, but he was wanting to make more money as the front man. And that was not cool to everybody else. And I wondered if not only are you making a statement that you are for the many in your politics, but maybe you're, are you also saying now that Ali's not here, we are a socialist group, or maybe that's the wrong word, but we are going to spread the wealth within our group now and prove it by songs and albums like this. Does that make sense? Well, we, all, we always have been the same. We've always shared everything equally. Uh, it uh, doesn't matter who writes a song. There were eight members of the band and all eight members originally shared everything equally so it didn't matter who wrote a song we shared it amongst ourselves we are all equal partners in the band ub40 always have been yeah. which got difficult when you know some members wanted that to change you know and we just said that's not happening it was never gonna happen and you know the consequences of that were that Ali went on his own, you know, uh, went solo. He managed to convince a couple of the others to join him over the, over the time. But, you know, there are five founder members of the band left, and those five founder members are the equal shareholders in the band. You know, yeah. we yeah. still, although Duncan is, a, is an equal partner now as a writer, because he's brought lyrics to the band. And if we're going to use his lyrics, then we're going to make him an equal partner in our publishing exactly the same way that we work you know so right. it's always been that way and i guess okay. i guess socialist is is what is what we are you know it's yeah never been any different i mean i, I think broadly speaking we're we're all left-wing guys every one of us you know we all broadly agree on the problems in the world we may not agree on the solutions but we all broadly agree with what the problems are so yeah. uh you know, at the solution for us as a band was 
splitting everything uh, eight ways. And yeah. always, always wasn't, now it's splitting everything uh, six ways. Okay. Great. That, you know, so many bands, I, I always think of REM, you probably know this, they always split theirs four ways. And they were sort of the first that I can think of anyway, to be very outspoken about that and about that being the best way to keep a band together. And I think that's proven to be true. But well, that's, uh, that's not, exactly, not every band does that. That's exactly what we said in the 80s was, uh, yeah. you know, that so many bands split up at what they call musical differences, you know. And usually what it, what it is, it, it, the truth be told, is financial differences, you know, because one guy wrote the hit record and he earns all the money, you know. Yeah. And that's always been a problem with many, many bands and it's caused all sorts of rifts that don't often get talked about you know it's always it's always given a different reason like artistic differences or musical differences but that's usually not the case you know yeah. and uh, we always felt i mean my father was in the music business as well and he he said to me you know always make sure that you everyone's fair you know that the yeah. that you guys do amongst yourselves are fair and equal and that was from day one, that was what we agreed was going to happen. REM are uh, nice guys. Some of them are fans of the band as well. We've seen, Good. We've, we've met them over the years, Good. and yeah, they they believe in the same kind of thing as us, you know. So, and they they also completely understand that uh, if you want to keep the band happy, you know, keep everyone paid. <laughs> That's right. That's very true. Real, uh, just a couple more things before we dive into the songs. Uh, real quick, I think. The album cover is uh, was done by uh, Brian Travers from the band, right? What what yeah. is it? Is it a photograph with like a you know some Jackson Pollock like uh, dropping on it, drippings on it? What what is it exactly? I don't think it's a photograph. Oh, how terrible! He's gonna get. He's gonna be furious with me when I tell you. I I, I think it's a cityscape, you know. Yeah. But I. Okay. I can't tell you what it is. He's going to be livid with me now that I don't know. Well, uh, I can. Uh, I have it here, and I was. Let me see. Um, it's a uh, the Grenfell Tower fire. Oh, that's. And I guess there were a number of black or non-white people in this. I, mean, I wonder if they were projects, and the building burned down and killed a lot of people. It was. It was yeah. It was a tour, It was a tower building that had highly dangerous cladding on it that caught fire and uh, a lot of people were burnt to death and I and, just and trapped oh. in the tower and it's, yes it, it caused uproar here it was a great scandal and there are still hundreds of people that were made homeless in that fire that are still have not been housed yeah <laughs> Unbe I am just unbelievably it's still they are they're still homeless but yeah, that's uh, that's what Brian's painting is. It's it's uh, right. a tribute to the the people in, in Grenfell. I am just now connecting the dots. My wife and I went out there to the UK and to Paris for uh, vacation three years ago, and this fire happened like the day before we were set to leave or something. Right. Right. And this was also around the same time as the, this like big van went down the Champs Elysees and killed a bunch of people and there was a lot of that stuff happening right then and we were debating whether we should still go on this trip but we decided to go but yeah this fire i didn't connect the dots that that's what this fire was that happened right before we were there and it was the hot topic on the news and like what's really going on 
So yes, apologies to Brian for, I, I didn't know if it was a painting with, because I only ever, I don't own a hard copy anymore. Everyone's just got little soft copies. So the little thumbnail is so small and I wasn't sure what I was looking at, but anyway. <laughs> All right, let's go into the first song. This one's sung by you and it's The Keeper. It's almost a deceptive album opener because this is more of a love song and you're not going to hear another love song straightforwardly for the rest of the album, you know? <laughs> so, why? Well, there, are, there are a few of us, but yeah, this yes. is, uh, this is a, a, much more, a much more gentle song than most of them. That's true. Hard on your sleeve, very vulnerable, tender. And I don't know, do you, I should know this and I don't. Do you do a lot of singing? Have I heard you singing? Taking lead on UB40 songs in the past and didn't know it? I've done a few, only a okay. few. <laughs> okay. Sweet Sensation, Mr. Fix It, a couple of others that I can't even remember. Uh, right. Where You to the Ball? Yeah, sure, that's you. Oh, yes. Yeah, I did, I did all the vocals on Where You to the Ball, except for the rapping, obviously, that was Astro. Right. right. So, but yeah, I've, I've done. Uh, I don't know, half a dozen tunes or something over the last 40 years. Not too many. I try not uh -huh. to do too many. I much prefer doing backing vocals. I well, know you what, sound great. I know what I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> but I wrote The Keeper. I mean, I got married this year to my partner of nearly 20 years. So the song is about her. I remember some, somebody said to me, the cliched phrase, somebody said to me, she's a keeper. Uh -huh. And I said, no, she's the keeper. Yeah, there you go. From, from that, it turned into that song. I, you uh -huh. know, I wrote it over a few months, really. I just kept coming up with little lines and <laughs> got it as, as cheesy as I could without being too embarrassed. And, there you um, go. and I sang it to my wife, my now wife, who cried her eyes out. And then nice. I, I thought, okay, I'll take it to the guys. <laughs> And she'd given her seal of approval. I then took it to the guys, and they liked it. They, they, well, they loved it, and uh, and even agreed with the idea of opening, using it as an opening track because a lot of people just loved it instantly. Yeah, you know? yeah it's fantastic. It's a beautiful love song, but not in a cheesy way. The story makes sense. Did you play it like at, at a wedding? Do you hear that other people are playing it at their weddings? What's going to be the legacy of the keeper? Do you think? Well, 
We've got a few songs like that 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 get played. Kingston Town is one that people are always having played at weddings. But yeah, several people have said to me that they're going to have it at their wedding. And of course, I got married this year and that was the song I danced with my wife to. Good for you. The first dance. So, uh, you know, how can you not dance to the song that you wrote for your wife? You know, very true. (laughs) Oh, this is sweet. Listen to the squishy underbelly of Robin Campbell. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a beautiful song. I love it. Okay, track two Broken Man. And it's interesting on this album, I noticed, so you do one, Earl does a couple, Norman does three, and Duncan does four. So this idea, this socialist, we'll keep going, I know that's a bad word, but that ethos is carrying over even to who's taking the lead vocals. It's being spread around to everybody. There's not like one guy at the pinnacle, you know? Well, that's also because a lot of people were bringing songs to the band. I mean, there's always been a nucleus of songwriters that was basically myself, Brian Travis, our sax player, who's probably our most prolific songwriter, and Jimmy Brown, our drummer. So the three of us were the main lyricists and always have been. But this time round, Duncan brought two songs, which is new to him, you know. He's not a lyricist or hasn't been so, but he proved himself to be a good one this time round. Nice. So yeah. we, you know, we used two of his songs, but then... Norman brought us two songs too, which has never happened in 40 <laughs> years. He's never, ever brought us two songs, and neither has Earl. Earl brought us two songs too. So it was, uh, it was an embarrassment of riches, you know. We, we were just going, this is great. Because of the, some of the negativity around Ali leaving and around the last album, which was Getting Over the Storm, which had some country songs on it, there was some negativity about that album and we wanted to show that we're still the reggae band that we always have been and that and and show the the range of the band you know and also yeah. that the political content is still there so to have everybody from the band bringing us lyrics you know was as i say it was it was it was brilliant and when norman brought the songs he'd already demoed them for us 
he'd, al- he'd already sung them. So we said, you're going to sing these songs. And he went, yeah, OK, if you want me to. So <laughs> th- that was it, you know. It, it yeah. were no longer Duncan's songs. They became Norman's songs. And the same with Earl. There was, nobody else was going to do Earl's tunes oh. except, <laughs> except Earl, you know. Right. Uh, I wouldn't have, I don't think Duncan would have dreamt of trying to do either of, of them. Right. Because, <laughs> because they're so in the style of Earl, you know, rappy type of tunes. There's no yeah. way Duncan would have tried to have done that. But yeah, the fact that everybody brought brought a couple of songs to the table was great fun. Apart from Jimmy, who only brought one. But it, Jimmy. But it, was, one. it was a good one. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, yeah, Broken Man, um, it's kind of dirtier and dubbier compared to The Keeper, which is out of the gate, a really you know straightforward, beautiful song. It lists all these things that are broken, like, you know, broken within the system. You have a lot of uh, guests on this, and I want to at least give some shout-outs to some of those people. Kabaka Pyramid. I don't know who Kabaka... I don't know who any of these people are. I guess I'm not as deep in... I like you. I mean, I love you guys, but I don't go as deep into reggae as I should, probably. Who's Kabaka Pyramid, or Pyramid, and why was he the guy to be on this song? Well, we wanted to do a lot of collaborations on this album, but we also wanted to do a collaboration album as well, which we have done, and will be that will be coming out in the next couple of months. Nice. So that will be the new album for us to talk about. <laughs> yes, and this is—I read about this somewhere. I believe this is kind of like going back to Bagarhythm. That's you're, right. That, right. It's a new people rapping over your songs or music that you're Absolutely. playing. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You, um, you remember Little Bagger Rhythm was the first, which huh? was a, like a three-track EP, and that had the track we did with Chrissy, I Got You, Babe, and a track with Pat O'Banton, and Don't Break My Heart, which was another yes. another top five hit in the UK for us. So, yeah, and Chrissy's tune went number one, of course, I Got You, Babe, the Sonny and Cher song, went number one for us in the UK. So that was a very successful little EP, and that was kind of a taster of what was coming because we were working on the full album Bagger Rhythm. Yeah. And uh, Bagger Rhythm, as you've already said, is a collaboration album where we used a lot of local Birmingham reggae artists, well, reggae rappers, really, MCs, DJs, those kind of guys, like Pato. We did that album and we called that Bagger Rhythm. So this one is the same kind of thing, but a bit more international. We've used artists from around the world, different artists that we've met and played with, artists that are up and coming, like Kabaka Pyramid, who is a superstar in Jamaica. Ah. Uh, But we've done another collaboration album, and this one, because it's more global and more mixed, much more sort of eclectic mix of reggae artists, we've called this one Bigger Bagger Rhythm. There you, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so we've gone from little bagger rhythm to bagger rhythm, and now bigger right. bagger rhythm. And, yeah, uh, perfect. <laughs> that one, oh, will, that one will, will be out at some some point. Well, definitely this year. Good. Okay. Excellent. Track three, Gravy Train. Miss Kenting and Tyke the Gravy Train. Can't afford to miss this train. Choo choo, I said the train is coming. Choo choo, I said the train is coming. Another day, another dollar. Feels like every day is the same. And I've given it the best years of my life. 
I love this one. It's kind of a nice leisurely one. I, I love the choo-choos. And that, I think, is another uh, another person you brought on, Slinger, I believe. And, and Slinger, believe it or not, was on the original Bagger Rhythm album. Was he? Yeah. No way. Yeah. He's, and he's still doing the same thing 35 years later. Yeah, he he's one of the Birmingham rappers that we used on the first album. And uh, we invited him back, along with another guy who does the next track on All Right Jack, Pablo Ryder, is is another rapper that we used on the very first album. So it it was nice to go back to a couple of them guys and uh, right. and and get them, you know, to come back and guest on on this album too. Yeah, when but, you're recording in that warehouse that you guys used. Do people like uh, Kabaka, Pyramid, and Slinger, do they come into the place and record with you? Or do you send them the tracks and they, you know, well, record came... something and then they Dropbox it over to you? How does that work? Again, you said it, you, both ways it works. If they're local, like Slinger or Pablo or Gilly G or any of the guys from around us or, or uh, English artists or England-based artists, you know, Tipperary, etc., they will come up to the studio generally and work with us. But obviously an artist in Jamaica or a New Zealand band like House of Shem that we worked with, they're on the other side of the world. It's just, you know, it's practically impossible. So, yeah, we, we sent tracks over, instrumental tracks. We took our songs off and just sent the backing tracks from the new album. We sent several to each artist and said, pick a tune. You know, which, whichever one turns you on, whichever one gets your juices flowing, you know, send us a song back or anything you like, you know. And some did exactly what we told them to do, which was choose a tune and work on that tune. And others sent us a bunch of tunes back. House of Shem, the New Zealand band, they did, I think, they, they sent us three songs and they were all so good that they really? were all they're all on the collaboration album because <laughs> we couldn't pick, you know, they were, they were all so good. And they're a band we've worked with a lot whenever we go down. In fact, the next tour we do in New Zealand and Australia, we'll be having them supporting us again because they're very nice. They're really a hot, hot band. But Kabaka Pyramid, we sent him the Broken Man track along with a few others, but he chose the Broken Man because... I guess it's a heavier track, you know, it suited yeah. his, his style. As you've already said, it's a, it's a much harder track than something like The Keeper. I mean, quite a few people p- picked The Keeper and did something on The Keeper, but uh, Kabaka is a, a heavier artist, so yeah. he chose the heavier track, which it sort of lends itself to a heavier dub, you know, and he sent us back that version, and we loved it, so... We were going to just have that on the collaboration album, but we liked it so much that we decided to put it onto the main album. Yeah. Use, yeah, that's... Use it as part of, you know, Norman's track. Right. That's the thing I noticed with all of the toasting or rapping or whatever, the appearances that happen in pretty much every song on here, they all make sense. They very seamlessly are interwoven into these songs, you know? They make yeah. sense to have some singing and some rapping or toasting going on in the same tune but i could see pulling that part out and then just separating it all and making it its own bigger bada rhythm album at some point because uh each each appearance is very special everything everybody's doing they're they're lending they're improving on the songs without changing the nature of them i guess is what i'm saying yeah 
all of the contributions on the For The Many album have stayed on For The Many. They have, they've done other tracks. Got it. Uh, for, okay. the, for the Bag of Rhythm. They've done other tunes on other backing tracks. Got it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So track three, Gravy Train, just real quick. This is the longest song on the album. It kind of finds a really spacey dub place and stays there for a couple of minutes near the end. Duncan is singing this one, and Duncan is singing the next one, I'm All Right, Jack. Don't you give me your hard luck story I don't care now you voted for me I know austerity's breaking your back But I'm all right, Jack Don't complain that there's no state housing I love this tune. This might be my second favorite song on the album, I think. Both of those tunes sum up what you were saying before about the haves and the have-nots, you know? The gravy train is pretty much self-explanatory. And I'm all right, Jack doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. Nope, it sure doesn't. <laughs> They're both, uh, yeah, the gravy train was, was Jimmy, our drummer, his song. And I'm all right, Jack was written by Duncan. On both those songs, on my notes, I have haves and have-nots written down because that's the common theme. But th I'm Alright Jack is great because it seems like it's sung from the perspective of a of a wealthy landlord. And yeah. he's like, you know, what's what, you, what are you guys complaining about? I've got a couple of houses. I even rent one of them out, you yeah. know? Like, I, there's money to be made. Get off your butts. Exactly. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and you, <laughs> it just shows the, you know, the narrow-mindedness and the greed, I guess, of certain people who have and the, the delta between the haves and the have-nots. There's other people just laughing. Absolutely. And I think when he first wrote it, that was exactly how he intended it. And then it kind of changed to it being not just a kind of fat cat landlord, but also a politician. Mm -hmm. Because one of the lines says, you know, it's kind of too late. I don't care. You've already voted for me. That's uh, right. You know? That's right. Yes. Yeah. And he says, you know, it must be nice to have a car and a house and be able to fly anywhere and a job and go on vacation. And oh, that's yeah. pa that Pablo's Pablo's rap in the in the middle of the song where he goes, yes. it must be nice. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Pablo is great. And I, I wanted to give a shout out to Duncan's voice on this one. There's something, I mean, he's got it. All you Campbells have the most wonderful voices, but his voice in here sounds very kind of Motown-y to me. It's almost, a, it's a little bit different. There's a little, there's a slight Motown-y, very R&B, soulful, American stacks or Detroit sound. How funny you should say that. It's, that is creepy, John. Really? Why? Well, <laughs> yeah. oh, he brought me that song probably two years ago now he said i've written this song what do you think and uh 
we were sat in a bar and he sang it to me. And I said, well, I love the lyrics, obviously. The lyrics are brilliant. But the melody sounds like a folk song, you know? It's just a bit too ordinary. <laughs> and uh, he, he was going, what do you mean? What do you mean? You know, and I, I said, I said, just just work on, work on the tune a bit, you know, give it a bit more bit more work and he went away and he came back and he sang us another version of it and I just went nah, it's still not it's still not as good as it could be you know you're letting the lyric down with the melody and all of that you know and it's a bit a bit hackneyed a bit cliched and all that and I, I said to him think Stevie yes <laughs> and I said it needs it needs a bit more soul yeah. And, and I said, just think Stevie, channel Stevie, because he's yeah. a massive Stevie Wonder fan, Duncan. I just said, channel Stevie. And imagine, would Stevie sing it like that? And he, and he went, no, I suppose he wouldn't. You know, then he went away. <laughs> and he came back like a week later and said, OK, I've completely rethought the tune. And he sang it to us. And we, we all just looked at each other and went, OK, get it down. <laughs> That is so funny because yes, I can hear that. Yeah. I can hear a Stevie or a, I don't know, it's, like a David Ruffin or Eddie Kendricks or somebody like that is old he's channeling them. Style. Absolutely old style yes. and or Tamla Motown, if you like, you know. Yeah. It's got that feel to it, even not musically, but but melodically for definite. Yes. For definite, yeah. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. He came back with a much more soulful take on the on the song you know and Good. it and it transformed it for me and i think yeah. for the rest of the band because everybody else were kind of looking awkward at each other and going it's not right you know it's not it's not good the tunes i, lo I love the lyrics but i can't stand the tune you know and eventually he came back and he transformed it so that was how it made it onto the album nice i love it i love it Man, I hadn't thought of that before. What a what a vulnerable position to be in. If you're the new guy, the new guy, he's been there for 10 years, but you yeah, know, yeah. he's trying to start he's writing. He's going to be the new guy. <laughs> yes, true. And he's coming to your warehouse where the whole band is there. He's like, guys, I got an idea. And he starts singing it. And you can hear the, the whole room just kind of goes flat. Uh, I don't know. What a vulnerable <laughs> position to be in, you know? And that's, that's music. It's the same for every member. Every yeah. guy who brings a song in. I mean, Jimmy was the same. He, believe it or not, Jimmy never sings, but he sang us Gravy Train. He demoed it for us and sang Gravy Train. And we all loved it, you know, but then Duncan uh -huh. had to learn it and, and, and do it. But it's the hardest thing in the world to bring a tune into people and you just don't know how they're going to react. And when they all go, I love it. Yeah, it's it's the greatest feeling in the world, you know, I because it. you've passed the test. Your your guys have just given you the stamp of approval. You know, that's OK. We'll use it. It's it's horrible when, when you don't get that initial stamp of approval, when, when everyone's yeah. looking at each other awkwardly. <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. Come up with the goods, you know. Yeah, I'm not a musician, but that sounds horrible. Okay, track five, Moonlight Lover. This is the first single off of the album.
this is the only cover. It was a cover of a song by Joya Landis. I had to look that up. Very good Why? there, John. You, thank you. I do my homework. <laughs> Can I tell you about Joya Landis? Please. That's what She's I was going to say. She's an American girl, for starters. And she was discovered by a guy called Alton Ellis, who was a big reggae star in the 60s. <clears throat> and later, of course. But in the rock steady period, which was a couple of years from 67 to 68, well, when Reggae was formed, when it, when it changed from Scar, there was the transformation period of Rocksteady and then it became Reggae after that. But she was a star of the Rocksteady period. She was discovered by Alton Ellis in America, in New York, I think she comes from. And he heard her sing and brought her back to Jamaica to Duke Reed's label, Treasure Isle, which was probably the biggest Rocksteady label in Jamaica at the time. Wow. And he brought her and said, I found this girl with a lovely voice. Yeah. Um, and Duke Reed, who owned the label, he wrote the song for her, or he claims to have. I don't know whether he did or not, but he owned, he owned the, the record anyway. He owned the song. It was recorded in 1968. It was on the reggae scene. It was a massive hit. And in Britain, it was on, out on the Trojan label. In, in Jamaica, it was out on the Treasure Isle label, which was this massive Rocksteady label. But it got sold to Trojan, which was the reggae label in the UK. And it was on the first compilation Trojan album as well, which was called Tighten Up, Tighten Up Volume oh. 1. And Joya Landis had two tracks on that album, one being Moonlight Lover and the other one being a cover of Kansas City. No way. Yeah. Really? A reggae version of Kansas City, which is a brilliant tune. <laughs> okay. I got to look her up. Robin, I got to, have you ever been approached to like host your own radio show? Or I just, I'm listening to you tell this story. I'm thinking, I would love to hear a podcast or something where every week or every month or something, Robin plays an hour of his favorite reggae tunes and yeah. gives us the full history behind the whole thing. That is just, You've, you've hit on something here. I don't know if there's any money in it, but I know that there's interest and I know you'd be good at it. You should think about this. <laughs> well, I am a bit of an anorak. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the period that I love. And I've done a few playlists for um, Spotify, you know. Yeah. Um, and yes, several people have said to me that I should be doing a podcast. Yes. It, yeah, I think I'd probably love doing it too. It's just finding the time. You know, well, we, I don't know if you know this, we have nothing better to do right now. than. Uh, <laughs> so you should think about this, man. I would listen to that. I would that's just that's listen exactly to Robin Campbell, play an hour of reggae and tell me why I should like these songs. Sounds like heaven to me. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, yeah. if I do it, I'll send you the first copy, John. Please do. Please do. <laughs> I would love that. Great. Okay. So back to your version of Moonlight Lover. Like I said, it's the first single. Norman takes this one. Gilly G. Shows up. He's a yeah, Gilly G is another Birmingham rapper. Norman and Gilly G have been friends since they were kids. They've probably known each other since they were, you know, eight or nine years old. I mean, I've known Norman since he was six, I think. Wow. Because <laughs> we grew up in the same streets, you know, so we've, yeah. we've known each other since we were kids. I'm a few years older than they are, so, you know, I was, I was ahead of them. But they went to school together, and Norman has always – I mean – what was he, 68? He would have been about 10 years old, I guess, 10 or 11 years old. So 
for him, it was a massive hit record, you know, and yeah. one one of his favourite tunes that he always wanted to do a version of. And uh, he sang the song to Gilly one day. And this is, I'm talking 96, something like that, 20, 24, 25 years ago. He sang Gilly the tune and Gilly remembered the tune and this, this rap came to him straight away and he just rapped over it and Norman said, okay, we're going to get in the studio and do it. And they did and it just never got used. Oh. They did it literally 20 odd years ago and it never got used and we were, we were going through the archives and we found it and we all played it and went, oh, this is great. Why did we never use this? What happened? And it's because it wasn't a UB40 thing. It was, it was Norman's. Mm. He, he'd done it as a solo project when, when we were having downtime, you know. And we, we just said to Norman, you know, we should, we should redo this. We should re-record it as the band, you know. It was so funny because we, we got in touch with Gilly G, who was no longer doing the rapping. He was, he was working at a printer's. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we said, we're going we're gonna to revitalise this track. What do you think? And he said, great, so lovely. So we actually used his original rap rather than no re-recording re him. We, had the, we kept the original, yeah. And I think, no we kept, I think we kept Norman. I'm not sure. We may have kept Norman's original or we may have re-recorded some of it. I'm not sure. But we replayed the whole thing. Anyway, wow. musically, you know, and that's that's how it and it just became it was so hooky, you know, so yeah. catchy. Everyone was saying this is a summer record. You've got to get it out for the summer, you know, so we released it as a single. Mm -hmm. And that was, yeah, it was the first single off the album and not really representative of the album. No, it, I was but, thinking that, too. Yeah, but it was yeah. just such, such a catchy tune and everybody loved it that, you know, all our friends and stuff loved it so right. we just thought we'll we'll put that one out yeah it's great you're right it i don't know maybe the safest song on the album it's the one that uh, anyway there's so yeah. many perspectives you know coming coming out on every song on here it's the one that it's probably the most traditional pop radio friendly song on the yeah, album that was what we thought <laughs> yeah yeah okay the next track you haven't called i think this one's my favorite And I just think the imagery of a guy alone in his hotel room, just chomping at the bit, hoping that that girl's going to call or he's going to, he's bored. And uh, I, I'm 
smoking another cigarette. I'm in this hotel room alone. I'm just, I got to get out. I'm in a cage. I'm in an animal in a cage. It's so, the imagery is so right there. It's so urgent. I get it, you know? I imagine you with, after 42 years of being on the road, you've probably had this feeling once or twice. <laughs> well, I wrote it, John. Oh, you did? <laughs> you've obviously got excellent taste. That's all I can say. <laughs> But the really weird thing is that I, again, this one, I wrote in 94. <laughs> wow. When, 25, 26 years ago, I, I wrote this tune. And I wrote it for Duncan. Who, what? Yeah. Duncan was demoing an album in Jamaica at the time. Well, he, was, he, he wasn't out there yet he was going out to jamaica to demo an album and he he obviously was not in the band or anything he was just gonna have a go at recording some songs having never done it he was he was going out to jamaica to to record some stuff with ali ali had a studio out in jamaica and he said to duncan come out and demo some stuff so i wrote the tune for duncan (laughs) it's sort of written as a tribute, if you like, to, in the style of Gregory Isaacs. Oh, okay. Uh, Because at the time, I was listening to a lot of Gregory and The Cool Ruler. I was was listening to a lot of his stuff at the time, and I kind of wanted to do a song in the style of Gregory. And it was a kind of amalgamation of two tunes of his, one called The Border and the other one, Night Nurse, which... Mm. He's probably his most famous one because Mick Hucknall did a version of it. But yeah, it was a kind of amalgamation of Gregory Isaac's ideas. And I wrote it for Duncan. And funnily enough, it never got used. And I've always kind of harbored a bit of a grudge about the fact that it never got used. <laughs> and uh, I've hung on to it, you know, all this yeah. time because I, I demoed it at the time so it had a it had a backing and the melody okay. and everything you know I'd, I'd done the whole thing for him so I said I said to him why did it ever get used and he just says I don't know I, I guess you know Ali didn't like it and I said well I think we should use it now and uh, of course the band hadn't heard it so I brought it into the band when we were working on the album and I said you know, I've had this tune for over 20 years. Uh-huh. I think we should do it. And they loved it. Good. So oh. it became a new track, which yeah, is I love it. hilarious. Yeah. And that is crazy. I mean, it was almost completed, you know, just because I demoed it as a, as a song for Duncan. So, you know, the melody, the chords, everything was there, except Earl put a new bass line on. Of course, Brian put horns on, which always transforms any yeah. tune. So, yeah, it became a UB40 tune just by virtue of the fact that we re-recorded most of the stuff on there by members of the band, you know. And then, oh, of course, Dunk sang it, you know, as a yeah. new tune. So, yeah, it became a new track on our new album. I love it. I love it. If, you know, when things go back, I don't know, you probably were touring enough prior to the pandemic hitting where... Like, what songs off of this album were making it into your most recent set lists? We have done I'm All Right, Jack. We have done You Haven't Called. 
We've done Moonlight Lover. We've even done Bulldozer with Earl. In fact, we did that the last time we were playing in the States when I spoke to you. Right on. We were playing Bulldozer. And I, I think that's it. There okay. The back three or four tunes. Okay. I know that's often when people go to the bathroom, but this album's so good, I hope no one does, because the, these songs fit right in. Yeah, I will. Yeah, we'll be doing these again on the next tour for certain. Good. Yeah, okay. and uh, some of them are going to become favorites, I think. You know, I'm yeah. def definitely um, doing the keeper. <laughs> yes, I was just going to say that's you could even like Duncan could announce it or you. I don't know who does the stage banter anymore, but you could say. Grab the one you love, you know, here comes a love song for lovers out there or whatever, and then just go into the keeper and watch all the couples kind of sway and kiss and it's perfect. Yes. Okay. The next two songs are fire. The next two songs are just bursts of anger and aggression and frustration that we have to talk about. And the first one is what happened to UB40. Earl does both of these. They're both in the rapping, toasting style. No singing. Well, what, what, what people don't know about Earl is that he's very much into the heavier side of music. He loves jungle. He's got a, a jungle uh, record label. He's had a few dance hits that nobody knows are anything to do with him. But he owns and manages Circus Records, which is his label, you know, so he releases different rapping artists and it's, it's heavier stuff than he does with UB40. So whenever Earl gets involved, it tends to be a more aggressive type of music, you know, and that's very much what both of those tunes are, as you say. Yeah, yeah. This is shots fired so what i i'm just going to read a quick quote i'm gonna i'm not very good at reading jamaican lyrics because i'm a you know white guy from uh from middle america but i'm gonna try it anyway because he says three yoko onos so craving them want new house new car and things spangles and bangles and diamond rings you can hear them coming them a jingling and uh i think we know who those three yoko onos are the three guys who just who defected and went and did their own thing did you guys have to really come to terms with something or make a hard decision to put this song on the album or was it a no-brainer? 
Uh, well, for us, it was a no-brainer because, okay. I mean, yeah, we knew we knew it would cause some controversy and we knew that some people would hate it. Yeah. And, and also other people would think it was unnecessary, you know. But it was as a direct result of a documentary that was made called Promises and Lies, the Story of UB40, which basically documented Ali's leaving. It was made by his management, ah. who obviously were very involved in it because they got interviewed and talked about it, even though they didn't mention they were part of anything to do with Ali's management. They were ex-UB40 management, but actually they were Ali's current management. And it was just a really one-sided documentary that was full of untruths is the nicest yeah. way I can say it. I actually wrote about a four-page letter to the, the director of of the documentary where I itemised almost everything that was, oh boy. that was said and just said to him, that's not true, that's unfounded, that's libelous, and basically said, how do your lawyers feel about this? Because, you know, you can't put it out in this form. So they actually edited the life out of it, took out almost everything I complained about, but even so, it was still incredibly one-sided. Our management, our, the band's management, never got interviewed, even though theirs did extensively. The three members that left the band were all interviewed, but the five members that stayed weren't interviewed. They spoke to, I think, me and Brian, and they may have spoken to Jimmy, but certainly Norman and Earl were quite livid about the fact that they never even got asked a question. Mm -hmm. They never got asked how they felt about things or what their take was on it, you know. And Earl particularly was outraged, really, that he didn't get a chance to say what he felt, you know, and what he believed. So he wrote What Happened to UB40. <laughs> and... He brought it to us and said, this is what I would have said if I'd have got a chance in the documentary. Mm -hmm. And again, he kind of demoed it, you know, on his own. And uh, we just said, look, you know, if that's what you want to say and that's how you feel, you're entitled to say it. And if you, if, if you want us to, you know, we're glad to put it on the album. And he yeah. said, I absolutely want it on the album because I, <laughs> I want them to know how I feel. And he was annoyed because people were saying on social media that he was conspicuous by his absence from the documentary. You know, they were right. saying, well, no, he wasn't there. So maybe he'll be the next to leave because he wasn't represented on the documentary. Maybe he refused to, you know, to bad mouth right. whatever, you know. Right. So he was he was just beside himself at one point saying, you know, why the hell didn't they, you know, why didn't they talk to me? They interviewed you. That's me personally, you know. Yeah. They interviewed yeah. you. Why didn't they interview me? Because, you know, I've, yeah. I've got plenty to say. And, and right. apparently, you know, it's not of interest. So he was quite wound up about it. And uh, the result is what happened to UB40. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's necessary. People wonder anyway. And this is sort of like, yeah, let me tell you what's going on. Absolutely. I won't read it in here. Uh, word for word but there's you know there's a there's a 
section in here or a verse in here about you know him going solo like Marco Polo and the attendance is weak at the shows and to stop because he would be broke for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. And uh, I think I mentioned last time we talked, I saw Ali Ali's version here in Denver a couple of years ago. It was a real disappointment. And I and I should say that I'm not, you know, I'm not as close to this. I love you all. I wish, you know, I want the best version of UB40 out there because I love the the music so much. But it was it just felt like somebody pressed a button and all the songs were pre-recorded and they all kind of sounded the same and it was sort of it was just a real letdown. I'm not trying to gang up on Ali here. I'm just saying that I saw one of those shows and it was just not what I wanted, you know? Yeah, I, a lot of people have, have said that to us. And, uh, you know, it's 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 pretty obvious. If if you're an Ali fan, then you're going to still be happy when you go see him. If you're a UB40 fan, then you're missing most of the band. Okay. And, you know, it's a band is what makes the band you know it's like it's like going to see paul mccartney and wings and thinking you're seeing the beatles you know it's it... <laughs> <laughs> oh that's true uh yeah okay yeah well good <laughs> i think the fans... that's the first time i've ever thought of that one believe me <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> you should use that yeah this is i think the fans needed a song like this and it sounded definitely like Earl needed to get this off his chest. And so it's, uh, it's excellent. That, that is exactly what it is. It's him getting it off his chest and telling everybody how he, how he feels about it, you know. When, yep. he, when he says, you know, the mind is weak, the mind is narrow, some of them flimsy, some of them shallow. They want their money in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, that is yep. pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, the allusions to... UB40 being bigger than Bob Marley. Uh, that uh, that must. I'm guessing that's an alley quote, probably. Yep. Anyway, that's an interview that he did where he actually said that. Uh, yeah. Well, that, there's just things you don't say. Even even if you've sold more, you don't say that. No. Nope. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So continuing with Earl's anger, we're gonna go to Bulldozer. <laughs> what is heaven heaven to me because as we were talking earlier it's difficult to talk about politics when you with your fans and but i i hate trump so much and i should say to my any listener out there this is notice whenever i say that i'm not saying that i hate republicans although i'm confused by all of you and your your backing of this man but 
I don't, you know, if we if we had a decent man as a, who's a Republican for president, and he, at least he if he was at least good on progressive issues, I wouldn't care at all. That's fine with me. But this guy is a poison, and Earl gets it, and he says as much in this song. And I I was listening to this thinking, you know, if Jay Z did this song, it would have gone viral. It would be in the states. It would be gigantic. It'd be played everywhere at every protest. Yeah. You, there needs to be a way for bulldozer to get go viral in our country because it's necessary. Yeah, well, as I say, when when we were touring last time we were there, when I spoke to you the first time, we were performing bulldozer, and it was hilarious because we said to Earl, "Look, if you don't want to do it, we, uh -huh. we won't do it." You know, if if you're too worried about it, about you know negative vibes from the audience etc because you know half of these people voted him in so if, if you don't want to do it that's fine and he went no no i definitely want to do it if there's anywhere i want to perform bulldozer it's the states so that was it we we did it and in fact i would say that the vast majority were totally supportive got the lyrics and, to and were you know totally with us but there were a few dissenting voices, you know. There was a small group of, of guys who were shouting Trump, Trump at us and saluting. And there was the one gig I'd, I'd just told them to go away, you know. And, uh, and they did. They did, funnily enough. They went quiet and, and slink, slinked off. But for yeah. the most part, we got a really favorable response to it. I have to quote some of these lyrics too because they're just they're so delicious to me. Trumpy Trumpy said your head must be full of up a lumpy. Like I said, I'm not very good at toasting lyrics, reciting them back. But anyway, because him have the comb over, him coming like a bulldozer, you twittering daily like a baby. Talks about the Muslim ban blowing up in your face, vindictive old racist man. Anyway, yes, his ties to Putin. It's so obvious. It's glorious as an american i'm just telling you all thank you for bulldozer <laughs> because it says what i feel better than i can say it well hopefully we're rid pleasure, of this pleasure and, uh, I, hope yes. of, I hope the rest of america's listening <laughs> yeah i'm gonna get some hate mail for this one oh, but uh, sure for sure we do on a daily basis i believe it and you know i was i was debating whether to go here or not but it, with I think with the Black Lives Matter movement that's happening so heavily right now, as it should, it's important to speak out even more on stuff like this. And that's why I say, and I really want to clarify for anyone who's getting angry at the things I'm saying, this is a Trump issue to me, to me personally. Like I said, I, if you show me a good Republican, I'm fine with that. This is a Trump issue, and the handling of what's going on in our country right now is not good. And that, and you have to speak out at a time like now. And I was thinking about you, someone who's dedicated his entire career to what is essentially honoring an inherently or a naturally black music. You, what are some of your, do you have strong feel? I imagine you have strong feelings about this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in the current climate, you have to stand up and be counted. You know, yes. you've got to say how you feel about these things. And yes. that's what's so lovely about the artistic side of the world. Creative people are not afraid to stand up and be counted generally, you know, and it's, it's nice to see that uh, people in the arts and people in music and film and theatre, etc., 
are especially on this side of the pond and I'm pretty sure on that side of the pond for the most part are standing up and saying the right things and doing the right things. Yep, I would agree. Okay, let's move on to other things and get off the political because uh, I could go on and on. Anyway, <laughs> second to last song, Poor Fool. This kind of brings it all back to me. <laughs> <laughs> is a nice pleasant leisurely little stroll it's a beautiful little song but it's also saying similar things about you know my understanding of the of the perspective of this song is that it's sort of taken from a millionaire who is upset that somebody on a lower class than him may be poor because they're not heavily in debt because he makes money off of the debt and this poor guy just pays his bills and he doesn't owe anybody anything but he's not a millionaire either and the millionaire is like i need you why can't you go buy some things you can't afford because I make money off of that? That's sort of my take on this. Yeah, and also also saying to him, you know, you could be better off if you were prepared to be more like me. If you True. were you know, if you weren't just a poor fool who's who's not prepared to, you know, buy extra property and, you know, go into go into debt to get more things that you can capitalize on, you know. It it's all about just being Joe Normal who just yeah you know, who just works for a living, a a blue collar guy who just works for a living. And a rich man's opinion of him is that he's just a poor fool. That's it. Perfectly said. There it is. Just being a regular guy and how to the rich, that's not good enough. Why wouldn't you aspire to where I am? You know? Exactly. Exactly. And and again, that's another lyric by Duncan. Oh, really? Well, he's on fire for this one. Yeah. Well, great. He's a good socialist boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, last track. All we do is cry. We see mothers cry as their children die on our TV sets while we sit and play. But nothing gets done. As they pass one by one, all they do is die. All they do is die. All we do is cry. We see babies live, bloated bellies, nose flayed. 
This, I think, it's not quite up there with Sing Your Own Song, but it is one of those great, perfect UB40 album closers, you know? It mm -hmm. uh, summarizes kind of everything. At the very beginning, for a brief moment, there's a children's choir. There's a beautiful sax solo. This is another Norman sung song. It just is summarizing everything we've just been through in this beautiful closing speech or closing moment, you know? It's perfect for the ending of this album? It's a very simple song. I think Sing Our Own Song is, is probably a more complicated lyric. All We Do Is Cry is just exactly what you see on the tin, you know? It's, it's typical Norman. He wears his heart on his sleeve. It's really about the whole situation where you see children dying on the streets of war-torn cities, drought-torn countries, starvation, you know, all these things that happen on a daily basis, well, on a minute-by-minute -minute basis around the world in places. You see it happening on TV all the time and it makes you cry, you know, tears your heart apart. And what do we do? We, we donate some money to a cause in the hopes that, you know, you're going to save a child from dying of dirty water somewhere in, in the world, you know, when really it's it's a global thing and surely we should be looking after each other, you know. It's in another country and you get other people saying, well, charity begins at home and we shouldn't be looking right. after other people. And Norman just thinks that we should all be looking after each other because we're all the human race, you know, and it's behoven to us all, you know, to basically look after each other, whatever country, whatever colour, whatever creed, you know, we should be on a global basis, we should be looking after each other, not using these desperate situations to score political points, you know, not saying I'll send you money for your, you know, starvation problem if you do me a deal on your oil, you know, and it's just... It's a horrible place, this world, yeah, in, yeah. in so many ways, you know, and it, it could be just so much better if we were more human. You know, that's that's all Norman's saying in the simplest possible way, you know. All they do is die and all we do is cry. And yeah. you know, that's, it, there's no simpler way of saying it than that and no more truthful way of saying it than that, you know. That's Norman. He, he absolutely wears his heart on his sleeve. And when he brought it to us, we were all tearful, every one of us, yeah. all yeah. went, oh, my God, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it's the last track on the album, because you can't follow it with anything. Yeah. The guest vo vocalist is a guy called Hunters, who's an Indian guy who we've worked with again. We've worked with him before 
15 years ago. I think he was on the Who You Fighting For album, and he was on a, a track called Reasons, where he does a, another sort of Indian chant, very similar. And it just seemed like a very fitting thing to do. We set, we sent him the track and said, can you do something on this? And And he did. So he did a kind of a call and answer thing with the saxophone. It's so good, and it's the perfect ending to this album. I agree. I'm glad we did this one. There are so many classic UB40 albums in the canon that I could easily talk about, but it was this is the right album for this time. And it's so good to hear UB40 do what they're good at again. You know, obviously, you're good at covers. Few people have ever been as good as covers at covers as UB40 is, but it's so nice to hear from UB40's political perspective on the way of the world right now, because it's been a while. And so this is the perfect album for this time, I think. Well, great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. I, yeah. I wasn't sure how you'd react to, to uh, <laughs> talking about that album, because I, I was pretty sure that you would want to talk about one of the older albums. I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was my thinking, like, oh, this is my chance. I mean, Rat in the Kitchen, I've listened to that album a hundred times in my life, or the... Yeah. The, you know, uh, Jeffrey Morgan or Guns in the Ghetto or the, even the Live from Russia album. But there's just so much to think about on For the Many. And, and it's so timely that now was the time to discuss it. And so I'm glad we did. Yeah, it's and it's great for me because you can imagine I've discussed the other albums many yeah. times over the years, you know. And it, yeah. it's kind of like you feel like, oh, do we have to go back there again? No? <laughs> Yes, I get it. When people say, why did you record, I don't know, Red Red Wine or, you know, uh-huh. it's uh-huh. like we still do it every single time we go out. But that's not the those aren't the songs that it get me excited. I get excited right. when I'm doing them with a crowd because uh-huh. crowd's reaction is what makes it worthwhile, you know, what makes you enjoy it. But I'm always more fired up about, you know, the latest thing we've just done. Yeah. And if we do this again, then obviously <laughs> I'm, I'm going to want to talk about Bigger Bagger Redim. That's fine, too. That's fine, too. Whatever you want, Robin. I just love you and I don't care. I just love talking about UB40. So it's fine with me. Anyway, thank you, sir, for doing this with me. You guys, I mean, you know how much I love you guys. And I'm so grateful that you give me any of your time because you're one of my very favorites ever. Thank you, John. It's an absolute pleasure. Always is talking to you, man. Uh, and the only reason I've done this one was because I enjoyed the previous one so much. <laughs> yes. Yes. That makes me happy. That makes me so happy. All right. There you have it. For the many. That was the That is the album of the day. It is a timely, timely discussion to have right now. And I hope you guys will go out there and check it out. Now, we are giving away a couple of copies of For the Many. I don't know exactly how many yet. I haven't received them, but I will. I wanted to give you guys a heads up because these, this giveaway will be available to our Tier 1 Patreon supporters. $2 a month, set it and forget it. It automatically qualifies you for any swag giveaway like this one. So as soon as they arrive, as soon as I get them, I will be posting on the Patreon page to all of our supporters that they are available and when the giveaway is going to be done. So this gives you a little bit of time. If you want a free copy of For The Many on CD, get over to Patreon. The link to sign up is in the description of this show. You can just tap right on it 
and go in there and do it. There's also the second tier, which is $5 a month. That way I will tell you every upcoming interview I have, although I don't tell everyone about the bonus stuff like the deep dives, but the big Tuesday ones I do, and you can submit questions for possible inclusion in the interview, okay? Those are the rules. Anyway, huge thank you to Robin for talking with me. I love you, B40, so much. And I hope everyone got turned on to For the Many in this conversation, okay? We will talk to you guys soon.